Are you in a relationship? Does it feel like PMDD is ruining your relationship? Then this one is for you. I've got Valerie, Alan here, a couples therapist. We are going to go deep on how you can save your relationship. It's going to be a good one. Let's go do it. Welcome to the PMDD Healing Summit, where the world's top experts share hope, guidance, and next steps for your PMDD healing journey. My name is Charisma Whitefeather, and today I am joined by Valerie Allen. And Valerie is a licensed professional clinical counselor providing therapy for adults, adolescents, and, very important for today, couples. She became a therapist because she wanted to help others learn and grow through their experiences and find peace and happiness in their lives. Valerie believes that every person has life experiences that include good times and hard times. And it's through the hard times that we learn the most about ourselves and about life. Mm, Valerie, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today. Thank you so much and welcome and hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's so good to have you. We were already talking a little bit before I hit record y'all and this is going to be a very juicy talk about you and your relationships. So Valerie, I want us to talk about PMDD and relationships but before we get into that, what can we do as menstruators with PMDD to be good partners? I love that question um, because I think that sometimes we can um, take a, a difficulty or a diagnosis and um, maybe use it as an excuse um, and or, or that we can't help it because this is just a, an issue that we have. But I think it's important to know that we as menstruators have the, um, we have the responsibility to change, uh, make some changes to ourselves, um, to learn more about our, our symptoms and how to manage our emotions, how to manage the way we communicate with our partners. Um, you know, so we have that responsibility to, to be better people. I, and we all do, no matter uh, whether we have PMDD or anything, it's, it's our responsibility to to grow as people. Mm. Thank you so much for bringing in that responsibility aspect. That's been a bit of a, a red line going through a lot of these talks of us taking responsibility, also taking responsibility for our healing and maybe starting to explore what might work. So I, I found you through this beautiful, beautiful article that you wrote on your blog that really helped me a lot with my PMDD healing journey. And you called it moods and hormones, how simple awareness can save your sanity and improve your marriage. So could you share how awareness and acceptance can help us, as you call it, ride the waves of our hormonal cycles? Yeah, I, I really think I, I have some clients that aren't in tune or don't know um, that there is this effect and that um, uh, don't, their families don't know. And so this, this irritability, this sadness, this depression comes up and um, they, they attach to that and feel like it's, 
it's it's my life. This is how it is. And they're not recognizing that the the chemicals and the hormones are are having an effect on on their brain. That they're um, I know that when I am premenstrual, um, which for me was five months ago, because I'm I'm going through the transition right now. So. Um, um, but I can, I know that I was always, um, boy, my thoughts even changed to negative thoughts. Um, you know, my feelings, um, I just, I was more, um, um, insecure, anxious, um, self-critical, right. And critical of others and recognizing that, that your hormones are affecting you in that way can help you to, um, be more realistic, about those thoughts and about those feelings and to communicate that to our partners and to our families that, hey, I, I'm feeling these things that are not necessarily true and it's not your fault. I'm just really edgy right now. Um, and so that's how I see awareness and kind of acceptance mm -hmm. of those, those ups and downs uh, can help us and can help our families. Absolutely. I like what you say about just maybe informing our partners that, hey, I have to tread lightly right now. Please support me. Um, I really love that you brought that up because I know in relationships, sometimes it can be very hard to voice our needs without coming across in a harsh way. Yeah. So is there a way that you, for example, help couples to be able to express their needs or do I need to just start accepting myself? What are your, some, what advice can you give for someone who might have trouble expressing, you know, Hey, I'm in my PMDD hell week right now yeah. to support me. Yeah. Well, I think that first step is acknowledging and recognizing the thoughts and it becomes a, a process of becoming mindful of the things that you're saying in your head. Um, the stuff that, that your mind is telling you um, and watching that. I, I know you're a yoga teacher, probably teach meditation and meditation teaches us to watch our thoughts and not attach to them. And so, you know, the mind makes up all kinds of stuff and hormones affect the things that our mind is telling us. So watching that and not accepting it as truth and not attaching emotionally to the thoughts yeah. is an important first step in this process. Mm -hmm. um, once you be, I, I even have sometimes clients write down the stuff that their mind is telling them, write down the thoughts that they're having uh, just as they are, because you almost have to slow it down and really notice it. And then I always recommend maybe when you're feeling better, go back and respond to those thoughts in a more realistic uh, or rational mindset. Mm. Um, and this is, a, this is a practice. Practice is, it's something that you learn over time. You're not going to get it immediately. And, you know, as a therapist, as a couples therapist, as a yoga teacher, as a, as a meditator, um, I know all these things but it took a while for it to click for me. Mm -hmm. And I want to tell you how it clicked for me because I want to tell you about a great video that Brene Brown has um, called, um, I, if you Google Brene Brown video on blaming, she talks about blaming. And I, I like to think of it more as um, 
irritability or lashing out. She called it blaming. But, um, you know, she talks a little bit about um, how and why we blame. And she says that it is a discharge of negative em emotions. You know, when we, when we lash out, we're feeling, we're feeling not good, we're feeling irritable, and we lash out and, and it's this discharge of negative emotions. That's what anger is. Um, and I love that part of that video. Um, and I think I had just watched that video and, and was, of course, talking with couples about, about um, uh, communication and about mindfulness. And I was um, putting Christmas lights up with my husband and I was cold and wet and it was getting close to lunch and I walked into the garage and I was looking for uh, some um, uh, stakes to hold down electrical cords and I couldn't find them in the garage and they weren't where I would have put them and in my mind I'm thinking he put them somewhere he didn't you know he put them somewhere where I did where they're not where they don't belong and I am not going to be able to find him because the garage is a mess and he doesn't take care of anything and he never cleans the garage and you know I'm having all these thoughts and I'm watching these thoughts like es escalate and I all of a sudden I realized wait a minute I'm the one that took those stakes out of the garden in the in the fall I don't even remember if I put them away. They could still be out there. Like, and I'm having all these irritable thoughts and I walk out of the garage and I'm helping him put, put lights on the bushes and I'm just kind of, I'm not ready to let go of it. I'm still a little bit irritable. And he goes, he goes, are you hungry? <laughs> and I kind of was like, why? And, <laughs> and, and he said, cause you seem a little bit irritable. And I wanted to say, I, like, inside of me, I wanted to say, well, maybe it's just because you're a jerk. And, <laughs> but I, I actually just started laughing. And I said, I have to tell you about this progression of these thoughts I was having and how they evolved because I'm feeling tired and hungry and cold and, and irritable. Um, so I started blaming him. Um, and it clicked for me, like watching watching those thoughts and, and being careful about where I'm placing that irritability and that blame because he was minding his own business. He's putting up the Christmas lights and I'm taking it out on him, right? Um, so that's the first step is really watching those thoughts. And then I think the next, the next progression is to manage how we express our emotions. So it's, it's rather than reacting like we tend to do, this discharge of negative emotions, it's pausing and it's thinking about how you want to respond, responding appropriately. And, and with, with couples, I do a lot of teaching communication skills. And that is a real skill to learn. It's teaching how to express ourselves in couples, in relationships, we often, um, you know, we learn bad behaviors from our families. Um, we go down the path of, of treating, sometimes we treat our partners with, we treat our partners worse than we would treat a stranger. Yeah. 
and um, learning how to speak politely and assertively and empathetically is a real skill. And you're gonna you're gonna mess it up as you're practicing. You're going to fail sometimes, but that's part of of learning. So I teach a lot of communication skills um, in how to ask our partner for the things we need and how to speak up um, and how to kindly give criticism rather than passive aggressive criticism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is very juicy. And your aspect, what you say about the practice that we're not going to be perfect, you know, just because yes. now everybody's listening to your talk and they're going to be like, oh, I'm going to be more aware and I'm going to speak more kindly to not then fall into that because that happens to me sometimes. You know, I do all this work. I do all this inner work. I do yoga and I meditate. And yet that time comes around and I might lash out. And then sometimes I can feel that spiral taking me exactly. down. Exactly. Shame, self-loathing, yes. which then just were, were, beating up on ourselves because of the way we've behaved. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And Which, then it just keeps on going. And then it feels like, like this all the time, the whole month and not just maybe 10 days of the month, yes. because I'm still reeling from that thing that I did two weeks ago. Yes. Yeah, so many people relate to that spiral. So many people relate to that. You, it's a cycle of you're feeling depressed. You're feeling sad or irritable. Um, you lash out. And then you feel shame and you go into self-loathing, which causes even more depression, which then causes you to lash out. And, you know, it's just this cycle that that is uh, uh, takes you way, way down there. Yes. Is there something we can do, something that you know has helped people you work with to get us out of the spiral to maybe side rail us so we don't even go into the spiral? <laughs> Well, and so I think, um, you know, learning how to communicate and how to behave better when we just don't feel good will help you not to, to, to get more depressed because then you're beating yourself up. Yeah. So, um, you know, something I teach as far as communication skills is understanding different types of communication um, there are different communication styles and something I talk to my, my clients and my couples about is that um, there are basically three kinds of, of major communication styles. There is, um, and I always say, okay, kind of a visual, there's passive communication, there's assertive communication, and there's aggressive communication, okay? Passive communication is not speaking up for yourself not um, ruffling any feathers, trying not to, not, trying not to um, uh, make any waves, right? There are a lot of people who are conflict avoiders um, and they keep it in and it begins to um, kind of fester and it builds resentment. Sometimes it comes out as passive aggressive, sarcasm, nasty snide comments. Sometimes you hold it in until you go aggressive right? But passive is, is not a good way to be a communicator. You need to learn to bring your thoughts and your feelings out. But aggressive communicators, which I've had a history of in my lifetime, is saying what you think, no matter who it hurts. It's stepping on people's toes. It's, it's you know, not really having empathy for the listener, you feel better in the moment because it, it is it's that that um, 
discharging of that, that anger and that negative emotion. But nobody hears you here. They, they either shut you down, they call you crazy, they uh, get defensive. Um, so nobody hears you here and nobody hears you here. Assertive communication or assertive empathetic communication is that you're speaking up for yourself. You're speaking your truth and you're doing it kindly, clearly, um, diplomatically, tactfully. Um, you're choosing your words and having empathy for the listener. You're putting a lot of love around it. Um, uh, John Gottman, who's a couples therapist and a researcher, he talks about a soft startup. You begin a conversation by saying, um, hey, honey, there's something that I've been wanting to talk to you about. Do you have some time to talk? Um, I love you very much. Um, and there's, this, is, this is hard for me to say, but um, you know, I've been thinking about this thing. And, you, and then you say the thing that's uncomfortable, mm. but you do it in a way that is not harmful or hurtful. You know, if you have to, to use your professional voice, a voice that you would use in, in, in your career, or a voice that you would use with a neighbor. Um, I've had couples in session that are speaking terribly to each other, and I say, turn and say that to me, and they get very um, kind of embarrassed and, and shameful, and they said, I can't, I, I can't talk that way to you. I'm like, well, you know, their demeanor changes. And I said, what is that? It's, it's because of respect. They're treating me with respect. They're not treating their partner with respect. It's our responsibility to treat our partner with respect. Yes. Yes. Uh, thank you for bringing that up. And I also love this thing with this discharge that you brought into the communication, because I feel sometimes when I'm so full of pain, I just want to lash out and discharge. And that's yeah. also when my communication becomes aggressive and I just want yes. to tear this person down. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So let's it's talk not. a little bit about these possibly overwhelming strong emotions that we do have as menstruators with PMDD. How can we manage or be with those out of control emotions? Is there like a technique or something that we can do with our anger or strong anxiety or anything like that? I would say, and I'm sure that you're going to have some other experts that are going to talk about this because, you know, emotion, rather than stuffing it down, same as communication and holding it in and trying to deny it, or rather than lashing out, I would recommend, you know, leaning into it, being aware of it. Um, Tara Brock has a beautiful technique called RAIN. Um, it is um, more of a, a sense of recognizing that you're having an emotion. Yeah. Um, uh, I think A is awareness, you know, bringing awareness to it. Um, I is investigate it, uh, really get to know, you know, what, what's, how does that feel in my body? Why am I feeling this? Um, and then N, I've heard it either nurture it or um, uh, natural awareness, which is kind of like just sitting with it, mm. being with it and allowing space for it, um, allowing it to be an emotion rather than trying to deny it or, or back away from it or, or um, not have it or beat us, beat ourselves up for having that emotion. Just go with it. 
um, just and, and sit with it, honor it, I think is, is what I should say. Yeah. And meditation does help a lot with that to find a little bit of a space also between, because sometimes we just kind of react to whatever that emotion is. And I think that you, you talk more about kind of responding to our emotion. Can you talk a little bit about that, that maybe not reacting to it right away? Yeah. So instead of reacting, you're responding in a way that is, um, more thoughtful, more, um, mm-hmm. more, um, appropriate, definitely. Mm-hmm. And more realistic and, and bringing self-compassion into that too. Having, you know, going back to your question about, about what our responsibility is or what we can we do to be good partners, we can give ourselves compassion and we can give our partner compassion. Mm. Yes. And so that, that self-compassion, that self-empathy and empathy for others helps you to not react mm. to emotions. Yeah. Um, I want to add something else here too that I'm sure someone else will talk about. But um, in addition to meditation, you know, there are. Um, I, I love that Western medicine is beginning to catch up with Eastern medicine because there is research now that shows that meditation and breathing actually. Um, changes the brain, changes the way the brain is organized and the way we react, you know, with the limbic system, um, when the limbic system, that fight or flight part is engaged, it shuts down the, the rational thought and the impulse control, the, that impulse to, to lash out, right? So when we are engaged in fight or flight, um, it shuts that down. So breathing, actually activates the vagus nerve, which is that big nerve that goes from the brain all the way down the the spinal column and and gets involved in all of our organs. Um, Breathing activates that vagus nerve, which then activates the parasympathetic nervous system, which calms the fight or flight aspect of the brain, bringing the prefrontal cortex back online. So if you can step away and do some deep breathing, those deep belly breaths, inhale, exhale slowly, dropping the shoulders, asking the arms to relax, and you ask the body to relax because messages go both ways from the body to the brain and from the brain to the body. So if you're asking the body to, to relax, it's telling the brain and the, the limbic system that, that it doesn't have to be in fight or flight mode. So that's a way to manage that anxiety and that anger is to just breathe, step away and take some time and breathe in it. And I know when I'm anxious and I'm trying to breathe and, and manage my, my breathing, I'm like, it's not working. It's not working. But a couple of minutes later, I go, oh, it worked. Yes. So it's not an immediate relief, but it does calm you. I love that connection because sometimes we can be so in our mind, oh, uh, let me do this, this technique. What did that person say? But actually to come into the body and to help the body get out of that fight or flight, that is, thank you for bringing that in. I love that you also said that Western and Eastern medicine, that they're coming together finally. Right, 
Right. And I also want to add that practicing those techniques when you're not stressed, when you're not frustrated, irritable, anxious, it's like, it's like practicing a skill. I always think, um, I always think it's like fencing. Um, when, um, when people practice sword fighting, when they are not in battle, it's to get the muscle memory mm. yeah. to be able to access that when they are in battle. So if you sit and you meditate and breathe and practice calming yourself and going within when you're not freaking out, it gives you a tool to access when you are freaking out. And that's why meditation and a meditation practice or even just a, a breathing relaxation practice is important always. I love that to not just when it's hot and heavy when you're in the middle of it, but to practice that just on the days when you're just floating through yes. the day to kind of put that into your body or mind, that memory also a little bit. Yes. Oh, thanks for that tip. Thank you so much. So speaking of, you know, being in the middle of it with our partners, uh, I, I feel partnerships in PMDD, it's just one of those super big topics because also a lot of times with PMDD and we've been with a partner for a while and this happens every month like clockwork, we turn into people say it's like Jekyll and Hyde and after a while in these relationships, stuff just builds up, right? Yes. Like yes. we just build up, oh, our partner always does this, we do the blame thing and our partner's like, oh my gosh, I need to run away from this person what can we do to break down the resentment or to bring back kind of the, the love and the connection in our relationship? Okay. First of all, I'm going to say I'm a big proponent of couples counseling, of course. <laughs> Good, yes. So, you know, having a third party help you talk through um, the resentments, bring some of that out, learn how to communicate better um, and, and get back on the same page and on the same team, that's helpful. But at home, and I always say, you know, couples that work at home need me less. Um, so doing some of that work of trying to turn toward each other. Um, another, I'm going to bring up John Gottman again, a couples counselor. And uh, he, he talks about, um, in fact, he's got a book out now. It's called, I think, The Relationship Cure. I think it's out there on that, on that book. Um, but he talks about one aspect of his um, model which is turning toward your partner, which means that we all give bids for connection. You know, hey, will you come sit next to me on the couch and watch a TV show? Hey, would you like to go for a walk? And, you know, rather than saying, I don't have time right now, or I'm not interested and, and turning away, if you can make an effort to turn toward, um, Yes, I, I would love to sit on the couch with you and, and watch a show. What would you like to watch? I really enjoyed the show we watched last night. Or I would love to go for a walk. Should we just walk around the neighborhood or we should, should we go to a park? Um, so turning toward, or, or even if your partner is sad, turning toward them and saying, what's going on? How can I help? Rather than kind of avoiding and, and, and thinking away. Yes. Um, there are all kinds of ways to bid for your partner's connection and turn toward the bid. And if two people are doing that, that's what builds 
um, that reconnection. Um, and I also want to say that, you know, people say, I don't, I'm not feeling it. I can't, I can't do it because I don't feel it. Yeah. And what I will say is that, you know, mood follows behavior, meaning that, you know, our thoughts, our emotions, and our behavior are all intertwined. They're, they all affect each other. But you do not have to wait for behavior. You do not have to wait for mood to strike to behave in a certain way. And if you behave in a way that feels um, not authentic, that's okay. You kind of are acting as if, and mood will follow that. And especially in relationships, if we will touch, if we turn toward and we hug, we touch, we have sexual intimacy. Um, and I'm not going to say, you know, have sexual intimacy if you're feeling like you're not, not um, uh, safe or not, not emotionally safe even. But if you, if you turn toward your partner physically and touch them, that creates... Um, it's oxytocin. Oxytocin is the bonding hormone. It's the bonding hormone that, that babies and mothers have when, when a mother is nursing. And it's the, it's the hormone that we, um, um, that we have when we touch, when we hug, when we make love, all of those things. Yes. And that bonds us to our partner. Thank you for saying that. And I wrote this down and I hope y'all have your your journals with you too. Mood follows behavior. Because I know in my relationship, when I have all those resentments or when my PMDD is raging, I just want to run away from him. And sometimes he reaches out, but I like turn away because I'm still identified with my mood. But to yeah. then if we want this relationship, if we love this person, because so many times I know with PMDD, people like my partner is the best, but I just can't handle myself to take a step in that direction and to just let myself go there. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that is amazing. Something that came up and I, you know, with social media, we read so many things. There's like these different attachment styles that people might have. You're talking my language. Aha. Okay, so let can we dive into that a little bit under this topic? Like, I know there's like avoidant and anxious. What? Tell us a little bit about that, please. Okay, so um, you're catching me off guard here, but I, I should know this all by heart. Okay, so um, attachment style um, really develops um, from our childhood, and but it can also develop from past relationships. Um, and it was actually, I don't want to go too deep here, but it was actually discovered back, I think in the early 1900s or mid 1900s that with an experiment, you can look it up called the, the strange experiment where they put babies and mothers in a room together and they, um, uh, the mother would leave and they would watch how the baby would respond. And, um, you know, babies who felt that their, their needs were met that they felt safe and secure, that they um, um, were, were loved um, and, and knew what to expect from their mother would be a little bit easier um, to respond when their mother left. Mm -hmm. um, and 
babies who have a, had a harder time either got angry, could not calm down, um, or kind of avoided their mother when they returned, they had more of an insecure attachment style. And we kind of bring those attachment styles into our adult lives, yeah. into our relationships. And so, you know, a secure attachment style as an adult is um, feeling like you pretty much know your partner is going to meet your needs, that you are going to um, uh, be cared for, accepted, loved unconditionally, that that relationship, that's your person and that's your safe place to fall. That's a securely attached relationship. Sometimes we bring what would be an anxious attachment style, which would be um, more fearful that our partner will not be there for us, will maybe not have our backs, will not meet our needs. Um, um, maybe we've been criticized um, by our partner or in past relationships. And um, so it can cause us to either be um, clingy um, or push away. Like we don't, um, you know, that's kind of, it, it's almost a, um, being angry in order not to be, um, to protect ourselves. It's a, it's a protecting, right? Um, but an anxious is, is more of that, you know, you think of abandonment issues in some ways. Um, we are, we're just not secure in the fact that our partner is, is going to be there for us. And avoidant attachment is more like where we don't really let ourselves attach to someone. Mm -hmm. It's almost a preemptive protection against being hurt. Yes. So we don't let people completely in. We don't let people um, uh, really know us. Um, and we kind of push people away because we don't trust. And people with trauma in their history can definitely have avoidant or anxious attachment style or kind of a mixed um, attachment style. Yes, I hear you on that. I feel that I'm, I have a bit of an avoidant attachment style and I've been with my partner for 11 years and for seven of those, I just wanted to kind of push away and I, I left a million times and I just didn't want to get into this connection because I was kind of afraid then of what would happen. So what, how does it help our relationship if we kind of know what our attachment style might be? Ah, well, again, awareness is the first step and, and, and recognizing that the responses that you're having and the, you know, that, 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 that feeling of wanting to cling or that feeling of not trusting if your partner leaves or, um, that irritability of, uh, and that feeling, knowing that you are reacting possibly to past trauma and then looking at your relationship more appropriately, more realistically. And um, I know for me, um, I would say that um, when I was a new mother, um, my husband was doing a lot of traveling um, now, my mother was divorced when she was very young, and my father wasn't around, um, and he wasn't, wasn't, he was not around for not good reasons. My husband was working. He was, he was doing all the right things. He was supporting us, and, um, but I remember 
um, because my mother was very angry and my father was not around, um, you know, when that, when I was in the same situation, I was angry that my husband was traveling, that I was being left alone, that I was taking care of these kids. And I had to realize, you know, he's, he's not my father. He's doing the thing, you know, he's, he's taking care of the family. He's traveling for work. He doesn't enjoy this. Um, and that was something that I had to recognize. So that's why, you know, being aware of where those reactions are coming from and then responding more rationally and appropriately. Yes. Thank you for saying that. And I just want to, something came up because sometimes it feels like, you know, people blame their parents and, um, I know my pattern comes definitely from my, my also single mother and my absent father. How can we start just, uh, you know, because the awareness sometimes it's like, maybe we're not really, we don't want to blame anybody. You know, we don't right. want to make anybody wrong because I know everybody just did the best, but how can we become a bit more aware of, Ooh, there might be something there, maybe some, you know, trauma. Sometimes people think it has to be this huge thing, but how can right. we, start exploring what's there? Well, gosh, um, you know, there are all kinds of trainings and all kinds of, of therapy that, that goes there and, and helps with that. Um, in fact, I'm, I, I think I'm going to take a training this uh, spring that actually uh, goes into our, the therapist's um, own history and, and to learn a little bit about that, which I've, I've done a lot of that work on my own, but, um, you know, and, and it is not about blaming your partner or your parent. It is not about, um, but it is acknowledging that they say that we all have some type of childhood trauma. And it, it, trauma is, is not, uh, it, it can be anything. It can be anything from not being validated uh, to being ignored, to being um, bullied as a kid. Maybe, you know, it's, it's not a parent. Sometimes it's it's how we fit into society that leaves those wounds. And so, um, but with parents, you know, recognizing that, yes, they did the best with what they had and looking at what they came from, you know, what their trauma was, what their history and understanding why maybe they behaved the way they did and having some empathy for them, knowing that, you know, they're on their own path. They may not be as, um, you know, maybe their generation didn't have the, the um, education and the knowledge that we do now about how trauma affects people. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Oh, so beautiful. Looking at their at their history as well. I love that. So we're almost at time, but I do want to ask you this one question because it comes up a lot in these PMDD forums. Is this really, is this the right person for me? Like, because sometimes that thought, it just comes up once a month during our hell week. It's like, oh, he's not the right guy. And it just comes up. So as a couples therapist, <laughs> What are the signs that maybe he, she, or they is not the one? Okay, so this, this question um, I, I said to you kind of uh, gets my hackles up as a therapist because my job is to uh, help you fix your marriage or your relationship, right? 
And so um, I'm not a big proponent of there being one person, that one out there. I, I, you know, marriage relationships, it's what we make them. What I do tell couples, what I do tell individual clients is that if you are in an abusive relationship, that is, don't stay in that. If there's no hope that this person is going to, to, to find empathy and, and get help, never stay in an abusive relationship. And if you are in a relationship with someone who refuses to um, self-reflect, um, grow as a person, um, you know, somebody who is not willing to work with you to fix the relationship or to fix themselves, that's not a good relationship and you need to really examine if that's someone you wanna stay with. But if you have someone who is willing to work with you, if you have someone who really wants to uh, look at themselves, make some personal changes, be a team member with you in a relationship and work on the relationship, that's gold. And if, if they're willing to do that, um, you know, your ideas of the grass is greener may be unrealistic. Thank you for those words. And also that relationships, they kind of take work because I know we see it in the movies, you know, they get together and everything's fine. No. Relationships take hard work. I, I also saw that on your, on your website. It takes work. It does. It does. We think we're going to get married and it's all going to be great because we're in love, but you know, there's, there's, a, and, and again, beginning of a relationship has all kinds of chemicals and hormones that biologically attract us and bond us to another person. But those naturally fade with time and resentments build up, especially, you know, kids come in, two careers, uh, busy lives, and we start to uh, grow apart. We build resentment, you know, um, what happens is there's always a period of disenchantment. Um, I think every couple goes through a period of disenchantment where you realize you're married to this person with flaws, right? A human being that's not perfect or not. Um, and it's, it's the couples who begin to acknowledge those things and they begin to accept and love each other in spite of, and also maybe because of those flaws and idiosyncrasies they develop what's called a mature love. A mature love is more of a partnership, a friendship, a um, team uh, partnership where we are, we have memories, we have dreams of the future, uh, we have a friendship. And it's the romantic, the romantic part, the connection, that's the part that we have to work at. You have to add it back in. It doesn't come naturally. So if you lost some of those loving feelings, that doesn't mean the relationship is over. That means that you have to work harder at it. Every relationship, you have to work at those things. And sometimes that's changing your own thoughts and the way you feel about your partner. Yeah, taking that responsibility again, I guess. Yes, right? yes. Wow. Oh, Valerie, this has been amazing. I do feel that we could just go on for hours. <laughs> I, I could talk forever on this. <laughs> oh 
you are just so knowledgeable. Thank you. And I know that um, some people might be very interested in working with you. So please go check out Valerie, ValerieAllenConsulting.com. I'll also have the link. Valerie below. Allen Counseling. Counseling. My goodness, you told it to me. Valerie Allen Counseling. So don't listen to my words. Click on the link. I'll have it below. I'll have the right one in there. And she also offers a free 15-minute phone consultation so y'all can kind of get the feel of what's going on and before we end Valerie do you have any last words of hope for or encouragement for anyone suffering from PMDD yes I would say that you know first of all it's a process to learn new behaviors to learn how to tune into your emotions accept them and manage the way you respond to them. It's a process, but it can be done. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It just means you haven't learned the skills yet. Um, and the other thing I would say is that, you know, I think seven years ago was when the new DSM came out, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. It's the uh, book of the big book of diagnoses in mental health. And it was only about seven years ago that PMDD was actually acknowledged and is a, a um, it's, it's acknowledged as a disorder and a treatable issue. And so that's good news that there are people out there, there are doctors and providers and therapists who um, understand it and they know that, the, that there's a need for treatment. And so they're out there. You might have to look a little bit harder. Sometimes we all get a little bit um, uh, disappointed when we can't find a doctor that understands or, or a therapist, but um, they're out there. Wow, thank you. That is really great. They're out there, keep looking. Thank you so much, Valerie, for being thank here Thank you for with having us. me. Oh, so beautiful, y'all. Any takeaways, anything that you wrote in your journal, share it with everybody in the Facebook group, any feedback, anything that came up, your attachment style, anything that you're going to work on, share it in the Facebook group and have a wonderful rest of your day. And thanks for tuning in to the PMDD Healing Summit. Bye, Valerie. Bye. Thank everybody. you, Charisma. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. <laughs> Hi, it's Charisma. If this expert interview inspired you or helped you in any way, please consider leaving a five-star review with your insights so other PMDD warriors like you can find these interviews and benefit from them too. You're awesome and thank you so much for being a part of this community. And remember, relief is possible. Okay, bye.